Okay, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, everyone. I have been extremely excited for this for a handful of not just days, but weeks at this point. And I know for those that are on the Patreon, I brought up uh, to the members that we will be having uh, both Vinny and Dan from That UFO uh, Podcast, who I'm extremely uh, grateful for having uh, come, uh, decided to come on the show. Guys, without further ado, it's truly an honor. I'm very, very humbled, and I'm very excited to uh, see what you guys have to present pertaining to both the Calvine and the columbia incident but before we get into that how are the both of you doing today good thanks man really appreciate you inviting us on yeah very much the same you, you know ple pleased to say that you know i'm blessed to be able to call dave a friend we, we speak off and now off behind the scenes but it's a a blessing and i'm humbled to be asked to come on your channel and speak to your audience awesome guy i can't thank you guys enough because i'm very humbled that you guys are even here so without further ado i'm sure the audience is going to want to uh hear exactly what occurred with respects to both the Calvine incident and the uh, Columbia situation. So the floor is yours, gentlemen, however you would like to present. Uh, we'll start with the Calvine incident first, and then we'll jump over to the uh, Columbia uh, situation. Sure. So the Calvine image for people who, who aren't familiar, it's something that happened in August, 4th of August, to be precise, around 9 p.m. in 1990. And two people were walking in the hills in Pitlochry or near Pitlochry, Scotland, uh, in a place called Calvine. And they came across a diamond-shaped craft that was just hovering there silently in the air. As you can see in the photo, it was being uh, buzzed, we'll say, by a jet that we think may or may not be a Harrier. Um, but they managed to hide behind a, a tree and kind of semi in some bushes and fire off six shots of this craft. Now... These shots were sent to uh, the Scottish Daily Record, who, funnily enough, never never did publish you know a story on, on the Calvin case, but they got in touch with the RAF, uh, specifically you know someone called Craig Lindsay, who Vinny will tell you about in a little bit, and he liaised with the Ministry of Defence in London and provided the the negatives and the photographs to them. After they studied it, they determined that, you know, this was something real in the air, not, not a reflection or anything like that. And there was a bit of back and forth between the UK and Washington on the matter, uh, even going so far as, as agents actually flew out and met with representatives in the US and showed them the image. And there, there was a lot of finger pointing. I see it as like that, that Spider-Man meme where everyone's pointing at each other saying, it's yours, it's yours. Um, but suffice to say, no answer ever came. And for 30, 32 years, I want to say, uh, this image just went, it was a mystery. It was built up as a myth by Nick Pope, um, the, the UK's Fox Mulder, the media like to call him. Um, Nick occupied a position where he basically did a lot of filing and came across the initial reporting of UFO reports, which he then pass on to a place called uh, DIS or DI-55. And these are the people that would actually do the on the boots, uh, sorry, on the ground uh, investigations of UFO cases in the UK. So like I say, that image or those images weren't found for about, yeah, 30, 30 odd years. And Dr. David Clark, as part of the National Archives in the UK, they released the just information that the UK had on, on UFOs. He helped release them in various batches, and in one of these batches was a black and white photocopy of the Calvin image, and that's what we've kind of been stuck with all these years, uh, just speculating on it. Nick Pope at one point partook in a Channel 5 program where he made a CGI recreation 
of the picture is he remembered it because it was hanging on the wall in his office. Uh, some people put her up before he got there and it was taken down by a boss one day kind of inexplicably. So that's kind of where the image sat and that kind of brings us, us up to the modern day. Sorry, uh, Dan, before you go on, brother, I just, for the sake of the audience, I wanted to share my screen here. This is the black and white image you were speaking right. of. Yeah, that's right. That's a cropped version of it. But yeah, I mean, okay. yeah, that that's the goods, you know. And, and then the CG the, version is CG that one version. there. Yeah, you got it. Gotcha. A lot of people confuse this one actually for an AI upscaled version of uh, of the image, but okay. it's not. It's completely CG. They, there are a lot of familiarities between the two. Uh, but yeah, that that's not the real image there. Got you. And I wanted to ask one more thing about the, uh, I believe the memo, one of them here, I noticed, uh, here we are. If you click on the link, uh, more so for the audience, it pulls, um, this is what happens when you click on the link. We'll do it in real time very quickly. Oh, here we go, actually. Perfect. Uh, th this post was deleted by the original poster. Anyways, point being is that the document here, if we zoom in, shows that defensive lines to take um, if asked, we've looked at the photos, no definitive conclusions. We're confident that the jet aircraft is a Harrier um, and a couple other points. Uh, no record of Harriers operating in location at the stated time or date. And then if pressed, you say that um, UFO reports from Scotland are rare and all citing uh, reports, including on occasion photographs and drawings received by the MOD, Ministry of Defense, are referred to the staff and the departments which are responsible for Air Defense of UK who examine them as part of their normal duties. So we clearly see here that there's some type of, if you guys would agree or disagree with me, uh, they're there, so to speak, with respect to this incident. It's, it's clearly not, you know, black and white, okay, let's, you know, Close, case closed. It was just a Harrier, you know, doing some training exercise with a weather balloon or something like this. Right. Yeah, that that's absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, a lot of nuances to the case where it gets very blurry, and looking through the records, you don't get even close to a conclusion or or anything. What we what I will say is we have spoken to people in defense intelligence who were part of the meetings in Washington at the Pentagon. And uh, I have to be careful what I say, but they pretty much say, you know, we knew what it was and we knew who it was. So but again, you have to take take their word for it. And of course, we can't because, you know, it's just their word. But what's interesting, particularly was peculiar, the, the, the wording, if I'm I don't mean to take words out of context of what you're saying, Vinny, but the fact that they allegedly said we knows whose it was as if to say, to allude to the to the idea that 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 particular craft, who it belonged to, whether human or otherwise, am I, human. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, sorry for cutting you off, Dan. I'm not sure if either of you. No, it, it's fine. And actually, it kind of brings us to to an interesting point. You reminded me of a point of uh, the the witness's story that I I left out. Uh, we we always wonder, you know, you'll see a UFO video online and it kind of just cuts off at a random point as if the person just stops filming when they're in the sky. In this case, that didn't happen. The UFO left the scene. But how it left the scene uh, is that it shot upwards at a high rate of speed. So some people would say that that's potentially unobservable. Uh so for me, the question of whether it's man-made or something other, there's a little gray area in between those two, you know? Um, but yeah, that, that brings us up to date. And, and for the kind of the lowdown on the current investigation, uh, I'll hand over to Vinny. 
Yeah, no problem. So one thing I wanted to say before I forget is with the witness testimony is, you know, we've been trying to track down the witnesses, which we've we've not managed to do as yet. We've got certainly got some interesting leads that we're following currently, but we have uh, spoken to someone who worked directly with them at the time. Uh, and this person remembers uh, a visit from Spooks to the hotel in Scotland where they worked and noticeably for days after this visit the the two witnesses were they acted very differently almost scared so that that's another data point that you have to put in there put that along with the defense intelligence sorry um, brother when you when you say scared or sorry when you say rather data point are you saying to and i fully agree to incorporate the human angle if you will the human the human intelligence angle of how these individuals were of a particular general behavior at one point and then after a certain point all of a sudden things shifted yeah absolutely that and when i say data point because this picture is so there's so many pieces of this puzzle missing we i you know we've got all these little points that don't connect as yet but each one is is really important and when you pull them together you start forming a picture that's bigger than people just saying it's a rock in a pool well it's not because we've got all these data points we cannot lay it all out yet the investigation is very much ongoing but we've got these uh, important points that you can't just brush aside because they don't fit with a certain narrative i would be um, so sorry i would i would be remiss and i think my audience would be too if i didn't respectfully press you on what you mean by this is more than just a you know a craft being photographed i don't mean to disrespectfully say hey can you reveal what you're still working on but could you potentially elaborate to some extent was this maybe a um a, a multi a transnational cover-up of sorts or is, are you alluding to something else um well i mean it's no no secret that it's been discussed that this is some secret or was some secret u.s technology and apparently it was a, a reconnaissance aircraft that was operating out of raf macrahanish in scotland and going out over the North Sea and into mainland Europe uh, as, as a test. It was a prototype. And people say, well, surely we should have seen that technology 30 plus years later. Well, for all we know, it failed. It was not successful. There are so many possible reasons why we haven't seen it. Um, but as far as the ongoing investigation, uh, you know, we're looking at leads to try and track down possible pilots of the, the Harriers that, that were flying, because apparently there were two. There are reports that one was US and one was UK. But in the initial investigation, there were no flight logs or any trace of these jets operating in the area. So that's a strange point as well. But then you look at uh, JARIC, who is the Joint Air Reconnaissance Intelligence Center that first analyzed the images back in 1990. They determined it to be a Harrier. So again, it's with the cloudiness. We're not sure about all all of the, the story and the pieces so we're still trying to work on pulling it together and you know it took over a year to from first contacting the person that gave us the photograph to actually getting it i can see this going another year plus well as well before before you guys go on and i promise this is the last time i'll, I'll uh constantly cool. interrupt um with respects to and this question actually goes for both dan and Vinny. i'd love to get both of your perspectives whether they're the same or different um we see, for example, in general that, you know, the UK and America, they're part of, you know, the Five Eyes Alliance, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, all of this. Do we feel or do you guys feel rather that there is a resistance more so from the, if you could speak on this publicly, resistance more so from the UK side or from the American side 
to, to sort of, uh, whether currently or previously, have this sort of covered up? Where do you feel more of the, um, whether intuitively or evidence-based, where do you feel more of the pressure coming from, if that makes sense? It's a very good question, quite difficult. I mean, if you look at the Condine report from around 2000, there was a section in there on which we believe was on Calvin, where it had images redacted of secret black technology. We believe, and obviously a belief doesn't mean it's true, that this was you know, showing the Calvin craft. Uh, and we look at now with the responses we get when anybody tries to contact uh, the Ministry of Defence or the government here in the UK, you get a boilerplate response and that is it. Now, yes, uh, I think we could get more answers out of them if we just keep plugging away, which I think a lot of us are. So I'd say that it's it's probably probably harder from the British side at the moment. But then it depends on that. I'm thinking about that case in particular. Um, I can't just in, just in that case, right? Because I mean, we can speculate to to your point that you know th these are the um, you know the the Americans pressuring the British, or vice versa, the British pressuring the American. Again, this is the, this is the um, the world of intelligence. So, so you would say though, as of right now, at least more on the UK side. Uh, I would have thought so. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, I, I would agree more on the UK side. You usually, you know, you'll you'll put in a freedom of information request in the UK and you get an acknowledgement back pretty quickly. And what we're finding with this uh, is that a number of us have put in the requests. The only thing we've heard back is from our local MPs kind of saying, yes, I'll follow up with the MOD for you. But the MOD are silent. You know, I, I have nothing back from them at all, not even an acknowledgement. And I was kind of hoping that they would respond to me with some of those talking points that were in the document you brought up there, just because we can kind of go, ah, we know why right. you're talking about these, you know, and kind of point to them. Uh, but so far, you know, mum's the word, they're, they're being completely silent and, and America's really leading the conversation. Wow. Yeah, and that's the thing. We've had to rely so far on the RAF press officer who released the photograph to us. You know, he came out and talked about it, no problem. But at the moment, the sources that we have who worked in defense intelligence, unfortunately, wish to remain anonymous at this point. So it would be very different conversation if they weren't anonymous, I can tell you that much. Right. So for now, you know, for now, we have to just keep plugging away and all I can say is I hope that we get more information that we can bring to the public sphere in the not so distant future. Got you. Right. So now if I were to um, share my screen here with respects to if we could just um, clarify for the audience who this particular gentleman is, forgive me if you guys mentioned his name and I just didn't catch it, but yeah, yeah that's sure. sure. So Vinny, I was going to ask you, actually, would you mind just explaining to people how David and Craig got in touch and why Craig even had the photograph still. Yeah, sure. So David Clark, um, our colleague at UAP Media UK, um, you know, he's been working on the case on and off for 20 years, trying to track down more information on it. And then towards sort of, I think late summer 2021, he got put in touch with Craig Lindsay, who we see here on the screen. And conversations were had Craig Lindsay revealed he was the press officer that dealt with the case he was the go-between from the Scottish Daily Record to the Ministry of Defence and so when the Scottish Daily Record contacted Craig and said we've got these photographs we want the Ministry of Defence to comment on them and Craig sort of said well I need to see the image so the Scottish Daily Record printed this print out and they sent it by courier to Craig's office at Petrivi Castle in Scotland and that's how he acquired this image he then 
faxed copies of this down to the MOD in London. So this image has always stayed with Craig and he tucked it away in a book in a desk for 32 years. And so last year when David got in touch with him, initially Craig was a bit reticent, but he came around, sent copies of the photocopy first. And then David visited him this year, earlier in May, uh, up in Scotland, where, when this photo was taken and Craig showed the image. But he wouldn't let uh, anyone go near it. But then after a couple more months of conversations, he finally agreed to donate it to the place where David works, which is the Sheffield Hallam University Special Collection Archive. So myself and David drove for a day there and back to Scotland to collect the photograph. And then now it, it resides in the, in the archives. Wow. Good for good. For, good on you guys. That that's uh, I mean, my tip my hat off to you guys for this type of work, because this is the uh, this is the type of work, truth be told. And I, I don't mean this in any subliminal way at all, but I, I wish was a little bit more prevalent here where I am in Canada. I know obviously in America it's going rampant. You guys are, are getting things going with in, in the UK there and all of that. But wow, this is absolutely incredible. Um, so it, without further ado, would we be able to jump to the uh, Columbia incident if that works? Oh, Dan, you're on mute. You're on mute, Dan. <laughs> classic, classic Dan. Yeah, cl classic me. I haven't done that <laughs> one for a while. I was on mute. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so Vinny and I were lucky to go to Colombia in February, uh, and we we were invited to film a documentary that was recording basically an investigation into the dancing lights of La Pena de Huayca. Um, now, this is a light phenomena that goes back. We're talking you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, basically, uh, that there are lights reported on a mountain. They're called various different names. Uh, some of the lights are blue, some of them are red. But the consistent thing is, is that people in the town have referred to them as UFOs or what we know as UFOs. They've called them spirits. Uh, they've kind of referred to them as, you know, possible Marian apparitions and, and things like that. Sorry, Dan, if I may, is, are any of these photos indicative of, of what you guys were investigating in Colombia by chance? Unfortunately not. If you search for brown mounting lights, you'd probably uh, bring up some, some interesting yeah. things there. Brown mountain lights. Take Colombia so out of there. Yeah, take well. Colombia out, brown mountains in the US. This is sort of very, very similar yeah, here we go. So so you wow. can see there as well, the Hestalon lights are coming up. Um, and, and these are all light phenomena that, you know, they were prevalent, but very seldom studied. Hestalon was famous because it was one of the first uh, instances of these actually studied. And there's some high strangeness that kind of accompanies them. But it seems to be that the scientists call these, you know, earth lights and things like that, so they can actually study the phenomena without you know, and actually be funded instead of trying to ask for funding to do a UFO research project. Um, so yeah, they, they look very similar. I'm just wondering if, uh, oh no, I, I won't, but I, I can certainly add, send you the Columbia video, Dave, uh, to pop up on your channel if you want. Oh, sure, I'll, um, I'll put it up afterwards if that works. But yeah, yeah cool. Thank you so much, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, we, we have a bunch of raw footage from when it happened. But yeah, we we went out, uh, you, you know, to Colombia near, near Bogota. And we spent two weeks in what I termed a UFO theme park. Because obviously over here, we you know you you hardly ever hear people talking about the uap and ufo encounters and things like that and when they do it's in hushed tones and that's changing a little bit 
But out in Colombia, it was a whole different experience. Every single person we came across had their own story and also had their own interpretation of the events. And they were not nearly as afraid as, say, the people in North America or hesitant to, to talk? Absolutely. Yeah. They, they just would tell you this story, um, you, you know, completely straight face. There was no kind of giggles or just stigma attached whatsoever. And the local town had, uh, you, you know, you just get graffiti across towns and often it'll kind of show you a little bit of what the culture is like there. Well, the graffiti in this town, they were beautiful paintings of, of uh, you know, there's a church up on the hill. So it was this beautiful painting of a church, for example. And then in the clouds above it, you can just just about make out peeking out one of the clouds, a saucer. Um, and everything was like that. Uh, they, they were just UFOs everywhere. So we we went to that valley to kind of hear a few people's stories, gather as much testimony as possible and see what we could find out about the, the dancing lights. And then on the very last night, uh, the, the dancing lights themselves put on a bit of a show for us. Um, I was on a slightly different vantage point, so I'll let Vinny explain to you what, what he saw. Right before Vinny goes, if I may ask, is this, see, I noticed something. Now, maybe this is just based on the search algorithm or results, but it seems as though there's a, um, unless we're looking at the same image here, a reoccurrence in the same general vicinity. Is this the case? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you, you know, has has a place like Hesdalen is less active now, uh, which is strange because if it was a geological phenomena and it was pressure and you know to do with quartz in the ground and things like that, you would expect it to be consistent and repeatable. But actually, the phenomena has faded away in Hesdalen. Maybe climate change is having an effect there or something like that. But basically, almost almost a year to the day uh, that the producer of the documentary Ashley Cowie uh, got a photograph of the lights on the mountain we filmed HD footage of the lights on a mountain. Now, that to me, it says a lot of things, but the main thing it says is that we found a UFO laboratory where we can go and actually study these things. And instead of them being UFOs or UAP, we can define them. And whether it's an earth light and it's a ball of plasma kind of spitting out these orbs or anything like that, or a full-blown craft, fact is science will be interested in it. Uh, so it, it's our aim to kind of go back and carry on the investigation in February. So in other words, there's enough uh, data that seems to be reoccurring over prolonged periods of time in that same general vicinity that you would encourage people to go and study and observe whatever's going on there. Yeah, 100% I would. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. don't don't take us going to do it as a kind of it's our project. We're, we're kind of putting the flag there to say, hey, we need all the help we can get to figure this out. And it seems to be a genuine phenomenon. Got you. Now, Vinny, I'm so sorry, man. Please, floor is yours. It's okay. Oh, no problem. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> the thing is, when I got out there, you know, being so so steeped in the UFO history and, and, and the community, I had to be very cautious not to let my biases of wanting to see something kind of jump in or slip in too much because, you know, I wanted to look at it from uh, from more of a scientific perspective by collecting data, by investigating properly. And that's what we did. And after seeing the lights, it did just go to show that next time when we go out there, we'll be taking more equipment, sensor, sensor equipment, so that we can gather more data points from from stuff that we didn't have before. You know, we've got the HD footage. Now we want the, you know, the infrareds and, and all that kind of sort of high-tech equipment that's been utilized in places like Hestal. And so now it's time to put that to work in, in the valley in rural Colombia. 
have you guys gotten any results from any of that particular equipment? Um, or do you know of anyone that has received any, um, whether a definitive or anomalistic uh, per se results in any of those measurement tools or unfortunately not? And, and I ask because I wonder, we see, for example, in very, very careful uh, attempts in public academia around the world, there is an attempt to somewhat, you know, attempt to detect, um, again, these UAP, but it's almost as if, and I say this very carefully, it's almost as if the technology to track them is not commercially available, obviously wouldn't be, but it's almost as if it's known by a handful of individuals within STEM. And there's a, there's sort of a back and forth as to when or how it should be released. So do any of those tools, say thermal, um, anything like this, uh, show you guys anything or anyone you know, or, or not that, not yet? So the, the kind of the fanciest we've gotten with it um, at the moment is looking at um, magnetic anomaly maps and kind of applying those to, to the place where we saw the lights emerge. And what, what we found was interesting was where the lights emerged was a positive magnetic anomaly and the peak opposite where the lights supposedly travel from, we didn't see this happen, but there are plenty of reports of it happening, is in a, a depression, a, a negative magnetic anomaly. So it makes you wonder if the valley is a kind of natural battery or something like that. But what we want to do when we go back out is take, you know, tri-field meters, take some thermals and, and infrared kind of cameras and start filming because we can you know, with, with everything, you kind of want to take out the prosaic explanations first. And we've got to work through them one by one. As much as I want these to be, you know, space aliens or whatever, uh, the the team, uh, we were all very different minded and we all kind of came to a very, uh, I should say, UAP centrist place uh, where it was very evidence led with the investigation. So we want to kind of cancel out that it could be hikers up there with giant torches. You know, it's not likely because it was a treacherous climb and these lights were ginormous. But, and we also know that the lights occurred on a kind of a clear sh a sheer cliff face. So we, we're talking abseiling people holding torches, but you, you know how outlandish some of the the theories get. So if we can just strike them off, then that's great. We can do that. But of course, we're going to have you know, some of the best sensors are uh, people, you know, Bigelow used people as a human readout system for a reason on Skinwalker Ranch. So when we go back out, we'll be looking at perhaps going camping up on the mountain overnight and hoping that we see something, setting up some trail cams and things like that, and, and just seeing where that takes us. As far as I'm concerned, we confirmed that the phenomena is there. We got HD footage of it. You know, that's there. Um, it's the next step to actually define what we're seeing because there, there are some really strange characteristics. Uh, if you look at the video, people might notice that one side is blue of these orbs and the other side is red, which suggests, I'm not saying it is this, but it suggests gravitational lensing, which obviously is uh, quite, quite the claim. But when we're talking about these orbs and their ability to kind of bend light or interact with the matter around them, uh, a fingerprint like that would be real interesting in differentiating it from something prosaic. Could you could you elaborate, Dan? Very well said, by the way, on the gravitational lensing. I wanted to because I wanted to correlate that potentially with you said the magnetic. Uh, there's a shift, so whenever the anomaly, forgive me, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but you're saying that whenever the anomaly occurs, it seems as though when detecting the magnetic presence, there's an increase on one side and then a decrease on another. 
so two separate things. So the magnetic anomalies are to do with the peaks that are across the valley. So one's positive, one's negative. Um, and the story goes that, you know, one hill seeds the other hill. Uh, you know, with the, the hill where we saw the lights is Chia, the, the moon goddess. Um, and the other side is male and kind of fertilizes that hill. That's how the story goes and sends the orbs over. Um, the other thing that I'm talking about is that if you look on the video of the lights that we got, you can see that when the lights are flaring up, one side of, I'll, I'll just say the orb, uh, for, for kind of argument's sake, one side of the orb goes red, the other side goes blue. Now, this is an effect that we see a lot when we're doing astronomy. Uh, it shows that a star is bending the light and stuff like that. Um, usually, you know, you'll see it with black holes, but if you, if you have a Google gravitational lensing, there, there are some great explanations. But in a nutshell, it means that the, the gravity is so strong near that object that it's changing the frequency of the light. Now, depending on whether that light is going away from you or towards you, it'll get red shifted or blue shifted, uh, which usually on these astronomical bodies um, will show up as red light on one side, blue light on the other. If now, I may, what's the usual, uh, what's the usual expectancy, say, if a craft is seemingly taking off into, you know, upwards ish, are we going to see blue or are we going to see red compared to, yeah, well, if you know if we're talking conventional craft we wouldn't see any lensing whatsoever because you know an airplane doesn't have gravitational pull for example but if we're looking at a black hole uh, we'll see that one side the images are slightly red that we take the other side the images are slightly blue so it suggests that you know there's some gravitational to and fro in there as light passes between us and around that object um the suggestion is that maybe what we're seeing on the hill seems to have a characteristic that can do a similar redshift um except you know this time we're talking an object on the surface of the earth doing it which is very intriguing to me got you got you Vinny, did you want to jump in at all or um one thing i will say is that like dan refers to the object as an orb but and that's a great definition in its in its basic form but this thing was sp spitting out small orbs at one point you'd see like this tail almost come out of it and retract back in but there have been images captured on the same mountain of different kinds of plasma plasma looking anomaly um so and, and i will say as well that in previous uh, accounts where the, these lights have been seen they've not hung around for very long only for you know seconds and stuff when we witnessed them it was a, about an hour and a half to two hours of these things doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things so yeah it's very I interesting well, if I may ask, since you guys were there on the field, from a, a human intuitive perspective, did you feel a um, some type of stronger compared relative to other, uh, we could say patches of land, a stronger energetic presence, whatever that may mean? And if so, was this a positive, um, we could say feeling or more malevolent feeling or sort of neutral? Uh, you guys see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh... Actually, I'll let Vinny take this one because he he made a comment on the day about the weather feeling slightly different. So I think that's relevant here. The one thing I found for the, because this happened on the last night, but in the week and a half from the start of the trip leading up, you, you almost feel this presence of something strange anyway. And I think it's, it's half to do with just the richness and uh, of the the subjects in the area is steeped in UFO law with, with all the people that we spoke to, but 
there is something different. We're on the edge of the Andean plateau as well. So we're already at sort of 9,000 feet above sea level, the mountain itself, an extra 3000 or something along those lines. So the air, everything feels completely different. But on that one day that we saw, we saw the lights in the evening, but that morning driving through the valley, I actually did lean over to our producer and say, something feels different today. The air feels different. And he asked me the other day, how did it feel different? And I couldn't really answer because I don't know. It was a feeling. It was a feeling inside and around me rather than it feels damper in the air or muggy in the air. It didn't feel anything like that. So it's a very difficult thing to explain. If I may ask, Vinny, when you say that you don't know what it felt like, I want to I want to delve into that a little bit, if, if we can, because sure. I, I sort of um, hypothesized that that same indescribable manner is very similar to I've said to people, whether on the member side or on the public side of my show, it's like trying to explain water or even the color of water to a, a, a child or a baby who's never seen it. How, how do you you don't know other than because we're so used to just saying here, look, here's water. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've tried. I've used words like the air felt electric or it felt ionized and that, but that still doesn't cover it all. It, it's it's close. But it, yeah, you're right. It's like trying to explain something that you how to explain it, because there are it's not like a something that can be just defined in straightforward language could we, almost could we say that in the local area of the field that you're in, you felt sort of like um, for lack of a better set of words, an electrical tingle if you will, or an upspark in electrical, you could say pulsations around you. You see what I'm saying? I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to attribute any one specific word because I don't think there is one right now, but you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. And I didn't feel it like physically on my skin or anything, but it, it was the air. So maybe there was pressure mixed in, but it, it's, yeah, I, I struggled to come up with words. It was many things in one rolled together and it gave me this feeling in, in, you know, psychologically as well. I was felt confused. This is different. Why is it different? And then it showed us that night. That's why it's different. Maybe that the, these lights appeared. Wow. Right now I did want to say uh, if we could in real time, if it's cool with you guys, Dan, would you help guide me on this, uh, this uh, UAP Columbia website, if we may be able to find the video of... Yeah, for sure. I, I think the... So there are a number of videos down the bottom here. Um, all are basically... Uh, Ashley has just taken the, the raw files off of the Canon 5D and uploaded them to YouTube for people. So you can kind of see them there. Uh, so I'd recommend going for one of the short ones there and, and yeah, just kind of playing it. And... Yeah. I think the two minutes 40 one, maybe I might be wrong. I'm trying to think of a specific clip with the orbs. One second. Let me make sure I can share my sound for everybody. Look there, there. Oh, it's much further down. Down on the left, yeah? Yeah. Down the left or the right? Left. left. Really? What, on the arch of the mountain? So you can see that little no dot there, the left. kind of blinking in and out. There's no path on the left, guys. The path only goes over to the right. I've only seen the phenomenon on the right. I've never seen it to the left this of the This has been the left the whole time. I've not seen it to the left. Left below the mirror door. Left almost level with the mirror door. Um, so do you know how long left it took me 10 minutes to get from the top of the mirror door to the bottom 
Okay, Ten minutes. Yeah. I'm going to try to center it. So camera move now. As the, the phenomenon is there and glowing in the center of the screen. I'm going to try to... Oh, wow. Yeah. Shall we try it? I, no, but I could put Walter's astronomical pills. Vinny, how far away were these to you? Uh, I think it's just... Is it two and a half K? I think that's about that's right, isn't light it? Up now, look. So quite the distance. Yeah. Yeah, but the perfect angle to look at something that's yeah, two, two and two and a half to three thousand right. feet above Whoa, you. What is that? I'm seeing it here, but yeah, this isn't the clip. Oh, I, was wow. oh. <laughs> I, I love that human reaction, though. Uh, oh yeah, man, you know, I was freaking out. The feeling. Yeah, there's one video where we zoom, we magnified massively, and it, it, we can see orbs being spat out and stuff really wow yeah i would like to encourage the audience to go to this particular website here uh, which is uh for the just uapcolumbia.com i think uh wow yeah i don't think there's a lack of um of prevalent data here that's for sure so that's it that's incredible so i also uh recall you saying that you only um give me a second here okay that you only saw the phenomenon at least in this context of this case in Colombia, appear on the right-hand side? No, no. So the, you've got the peak going up, and Ashley, the producer, had only really seen it. There's a flat face on the front of the mountain called the Mirador, and this is where a lot of the... Uh, we believe this is where we saw the light, so this is why we find it very difficult to believe it could be, you know, humans with torches, because there are very limited spots where you can be on that mountain just you just can't get there plus it's covered completely in foliage and trees and there's no flicker or anything these lights are external to to everything on the mountain and then they moved they, didn't, they, they blink out and blink in elsewhere and to walk that distance if you could even do it would be a long a long long time it's a treacherous mountain so we saw it to the left of the flat peak the mirror door we saw it above so we this is the first time it had been spotted in some of the places than than where it had been photographed in the past. Wow. Well, I do want to, I would like to thank Dan for putting in the chat here. Um, I would like to share my screen one last time, if I may, with respects to the, we see here. Ah, uh, yeah. So of note here, that's just on the title card there. Uh, you know, we've been watching the mountain at this point for, for two weeks and see nothing, you know, thinking, oh, was that it? Was that it? And it might just be car headlights or something like that. Um, and and we expected it to be very quick. And then on the very last night, after a bunch of people had gone home, uh, you know, in true phenomena kind of trickster-esque fashion, it put on a full display for us as if teasing, kind of saying, come back soon. Um, sort of as if to say we, we're acknowledging your presence and observations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, quite possibly, you, you know. Um, it could be I'm ascribing, you know, motivation where there is none. It's just a natural phenomena. But as you can see, this this thing is... So that was the tail there that you saw spit out. That's what they refer to as dancing lights. I was just um, going to say, it's like, it act, it's like it brought itself into, quote-unquote, activation, for lack of a better word, then left it, then did, made it oh my gosh so you get triangle formations as well uh there's a little color change in this video too this, this but bear in mind this is on a sheer cliff face so we're, yeah. we're talking you know people abseiling with torches maybe puppets or something i don't know <laughs> <laughs> wow and it's 
you'll see these in a second blink out and be replaced by a flashing uh, colored orb. Now, it's a really strange phenomena. Yeah. Really strange. And it's hard to cast judgment, you know, to kind of say, oh, it's this or that or this or that. Truth is, all we know is that there's definitely something there and that we need to go back and study it more. Here we go. Right. So you'll see in the kind of the red, red flashing, red up, flashing yeah. now. Right, right, right. It almost see now what makes me very uh, inquisitive and want to inquire about these types of scenarios is that you have these situations where no matter the person, whenever there is a, a revisiting or revisitation to that spot, something occurs. Now, to your guys's point, that does not, you know, say, okay, all right, guys, you know, case is closed, quite to the contrary. But clearly, there's a there there seemingly and we see the same please correct me if i'm wrong the same effects whether anomalistically or otherwise of this blue shifting red shifting that many even who have had had have claimed to have had alleged abductions seem to claim as well too you know the, the craft sort of went into this red mode when it was doing some type of powering up scenario and then it shifted blue when it was doing more so of a observational slash abduction type apparatus so it, you guys see what i'm saying there seems to be that consistency there if that if that makes sense yeah 100 percent. go on Vinny. sorry no i was just going to say and this is the thing we when we were speaking to some of the locals whether they were just the, the local townsfolk or even some of the sort of indigenous folk there were talk of abductions happening in the area over over the years um but one thing as well is that that really stands out is that there are written reports of these lights dating back to the early 1600s actual written reports still in the archives in in the in i think they're actually in bogota so Whoa. you know if any anyone who's quick to jump out that these are just flashlights you know there weren't flashlights in 1608 and, and times like that so it, it is a very strange uh there's so many it's multifaceted we've like you're saying we've got the abduction stories we've got the ufo stories there's even tic tac stories in the area then we've got um strange uh pictographs uh, pictographs were they done that we saw yeah yeah um literally the the local communities would kind of have those uh i'm going to do an impression because you know when it kind of a plasma shape it looks like a stick man the guy doing this and then the, oh. the opposite is what i was doing as well as spirals and things like that um and, and when we visited a, a community there i i went around the a, a moon temple with the the elder in the community and he was telling me his interpretations of these and he would say you know that's a lizard that's there because it denotes a change of season when we see that lizard we know we have to change our agriculture and the way we approach it and i'd point out to him you, you know this this symbol is seen all over the world and some places have a very different interpretation of this and it was fascinating because the the conversation then went on we went inside the main temple in the community and we did a rapi ceremony and they told me that the main temple was actually designed kind of to to reflect the universe so this kind of worshiping of the stars is very much built into to those communities um they they have some incredible stories you know creation myths and things like that and when the conquistadors came in um a lot of them committed suicide and they jumped off of the point on the mountain where we saw those lights um and they, there was a time in the documentary as well where we went up there and I, I just kind of took to a meditation spot and it just so happened that I sat in that exact same spot as well so there's certainly a, a strange kind of ethereal feeling um, up on these peaks 
uh, the the wheel described is very you know when you walk into a cathedral and you instantly feel like oh I have to be respectful and quiet it, it was kind of like that yeah wow well I, I did want to say before we wrap this up I did want to share my screen one last time to give a visual to the audience is this what you were speaking on Dan that's exactly what I was yeah. speaking of yes okay <laughs> I had a feeling this is quite interesting because this seems to have some type of correlation to I say this loosely, but plasma, whatever that means, whatever that is, you know, again, that's not for me to say, nor do I claim to know, but wow, okay, this is quite interesting. So we see some type of consistent reoccurrence relative to an anomalistic phenomenon near or right above these mountains in correlation with, again, not to make leaps here, but global um, events and, and uh, depictions and, and hieroglyphs and picture, whatever you would call it. I don't know the exact name, but you guys, you guys catch my drift. Yeah, 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 a hundred percent, and and yeah, that's exactly the right one. I knew that you you guys would recognize it as soon as I did the, that shape. <laughs> I, I, uh, I needed you to do the hand thing, and then I I, I knew that's after, that's my next yeah. Halloween costume. I'm just gonna go as a plasma <laughs> dude. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, well, guys, I want to thank the both of you uh, from the bottom of my heart truly for coming on. It was uh, a pleasure and an honor and a blast. Could you please tell my audience uh, whether they're watching visually or listening on the audio side where and how you guys could be found? Go ahead, Vinny. Sure, yeah. So uh, so I run a YouTube channel, Disclosure Team. So if you just search Disclosure Team, you'll find it. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram as Disclosure Team. You can find me if you just search. And I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, part, part of where <laughs> Vinny and I, you know, our, our work overlaps is a place called UAP Media UK, um, where we petition a lot of the politicians and, and journalists. And, you know, it's a very professional face to the UAP subject. Um, and then apart from that, you'll find me co-hosting that UFO podcast with a wonderful podcast creator, Andy McGrillen. Uh, thick Scottish accent, so it's really good. We we do have subtitles in case you need it. Um yeah, so we do that, and you'll also see a lot of my art kind of out and around in the community, 33 Ounce Creative with Olaf Rockner. Um, and yeah, you, you'll see us kind of getting anywhere and everywhere where we can help the subject, really. But yeah, that UFO podcast, you can find me at The Signal on social media as well. That's like The Signal, but with a Z instead of an S. I can't thank you guys enough, truly, again, from the bottom of my heart. And I'm sure this is going to be an absolute uh, compelling uh, spectacle to, to watch and listen to for my audience. As I, as I said on my member side specifically, I've, uh, I have announced that you guys are coming on and there was a very uh, encouraging and welcoming response. So thank you so very much, guys. And to the audience, we'll catch you all next time. Thank you, man.